The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We are, well, we're beginning a new series today called Rest. And the big idea behind this series is, is looking at the current pace of the world and the current pace of our lives and asking the question, is this how God wants us to live? The bottom line for a Christian is that Jesus is Lord. And that means something. That means that he is our Lord. That means he has something to say over the way that we spend our time, over the way that we live our lives, and over the way that we rest. Jesus is Lord, which means he has something to say, and we ought to listen to him. And this is a really really big topic. The more that I've uh, prepared for this series and researched, I've discovered this is a massive, massive thing. There's going to be lots to say over the next four or five weeks as we spend this time in this series. There's lots that we won't be able to cover. There's lots that will be repeated. Um, But I have a few disclaimers about this series before we begin. Firstly, I'm not an expert on these things. I'm not an expert. I've still got my L plates on. And my understanding of what the Bible has to say about rest and resting in God, uh, all of us have something to learn. All of us have lots to learn. Secondly, the approach that I'm taking to this series is simply going to certain passages in the Bible that speak on rest, speak on something around this topic, and then letting letting the Scriptures say what they need to say. There are some really good books out um, on rest and Sabbathing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd highly recommend some of them. Um, if you would like to some more information about them, I'm happy to come talk to you about them. Uh, but really the purpose of the series is just to look at uh, what the Bible has to say about this. Thirdly, we are not going to exhaustively cover everything in this series. Like, I'm not expecting that we'll get to the end of this four or five weeks and we're all going to be experts on it and never have anything to learn again on it. This is something that we will revisit time and time again. In fact, my hope is that we'll actually have more series in the future on this topic because I think it is incredibly important. My fourth disclaimer is that at this stage, I don't know really where this series is going. I don't know how long it's going. I I estimate four or five weeks. It could be longer. It could be shorter. uh, But that could change. And finally, my final uh, disclaimer of this is that my supreme hope in this is that we will discover afresh the incredible burden-lifting grace of Jesus Christ who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So today, we're simply going to be laying down a foundation for what the Bible talks about when it comes to rest. And I must stress, it really is just a foundation. We're only just covering a few things today. Uh, The main point, though, is this. God loves you, and he wants you to discover the deep rest that is found in him alone. God loves you, and he wants you to discover the deep rest that is found in him alone. And if I could summarize it like this, we rest in God by considering the finished work of Christ as our sole source of life and the most definitive thing for us. We rest in God by considering the finished work of Christ as our sole source of life and the most definitive thing for us. It's no secret 
that the last couple of years have been pretty tough on many people. The COVID pandemic uh, and all of, the, all of the complexities that come along with that have left many of us feeling exhausted and wrung out. There have been many times in the past couple of years where it feels like things couldn't get any worse or things couldn't get any more complex or things couldn't get any weirder and then something else happens. I'm not sure if you've experienced that like I have, but I remember there's been times where I thought, how could this get any worse or how could this just get any weirder? And then the next news story hits and it's just, it continues. For many of us, we were unable to catch a break. It kind of felt like coming up out of a wave and being smashed in the face by the next wave. Many people lost hope. Many people had their lives massively disrupted. Many people lost jobs, had to change careers. They lost houses, their, their businesses and enterprise had to be taken back to square one and they felt like they didn't have much left in the tank at all. For many, the complexities of COVID have come from the fracturing of relationships. We found ourselves suddenly at odds with friends and even family members over issues that we never gave a second thought to only months earlier. And in many cases, we've been told the lie that those differences are somehow irreconcilable. People have lost friends. People have lost our relationships with loved ones, with family members, to this climate of societal fracturing, not just because of COVID, but because of the increase of hostility within the news and with politics and a range of other things. Now, what we've got to add to that, the constant information overload where the latest news is in our pockets always, on our phones, within minutes of it happening, and we hardly get a chance to form a rounded impression, a rounded opinion of something before we, found out, before we find out that that is now old news and the whole world has now moved on. There's an incredibly high amount of pressure to have a well-articulated, concise, and winsome opinion and defense of just about everything. And if you don't, then you're a dummy. And amidst all of this, we've become increasingly socially fatigued by the pressure in all of this to still present to the rest of the world like we've got it together, to be the super mum, to have the perfect life, to have it all together, to still live the perfect life and to take a hundred snappy pics, happy snaps about, about our life and put it on Instagram so some stranger can look at it and double tap their screen and like it. We're an incredibly time-poor people with less and less time to do things that we feel we ought to be doing, and we find ourselves only having the time to attend to the urgent things at the cost of the important. In many times, people, uh, many cases, people have found that the expectations on them at work have doubled, and the time to do it has halved. Something is wrong. We are overloaded, overworked, overstressed, overstimulated, overentertained, and overpressured. We are fatigued physically, relationally, socially, and emotionally. And there are many, many other things that we could name, talking about the, 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 the time pressures, what's going on in our world. In short, though, we are restless. We're restless. 
At the beginning of this year, I took an impromptu holiday for two weeks, and it was one of those breaks where you don't realize how tired you are or how exhausted you are until you finally stop, and it all catches up to you. I was exhausted, and I felt like I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. And one of the things that really surprised me was the amount of people who said to me at the time, oh man, I feel the exact same way. I'm exactly where you are right now. And that was a big motivator for me to actually put this series together. The, the sheer amount of people who said, yes, I too am exhausted. I'm wrecked. I, I feel like I have hardly the energy to go on, and we're just at the start of the year. Do you feel this pressure? Are, are you weary and burdened? Is, is your life characterized by, by peace, or is it characterized by anxiety? Are you finding yourself more irritable or, or hypersensitive, more than you used to be? Do you struggle to switch off your brain at night? Do you struggle to actually stop and say, enough's enough, I'm going to not think about that for the rest of the night? Do you lose sleep at night due to worry? Are you finding that your priorities are getting out of order and the things that used to be important or that still are important to you just do not see the light of day? Maybe you're struggling to actually find the time to take care of yourself. Like eating healthy food is, is too much work. Exercise is not even an option. We just don't have time for that. Maybe your spiritual disciplines have slipped and you struggle to find not just the time, but you struggle to even be motivated to be in God's word or to be with God during times of prayer or even to be with God's people in worship or with God's people sharing a meal. And when the world gets too much, you find yourself vegging out with your distraction of choice, whether it's overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, scrolling social media or going down some rabbit hole on YouTube. You see, this restlessness... It's not just a symptom of a pandemic. This restlessness is a symptom of something else, which I believe the pandemic has just in many ways unearthed or uncovered. The restlessness that we feel is a symptom of trying to find meaning and joy and life in anything but God. Our restlessness comes from trying to find our rest in something other than God. Our restlessness is a result of sin. As the uh, theologian Augustine said, you, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That restlessness comes from, from not actually believing or, or really holding down deep the belief that we've been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It, come, it comes from believing that we're still at odds with God, that we're not right before God, and we have to justify ourselves. We have to prove ourselves. We have to make ourselves right. We have to be a better version of ourselves all the time. We know that something is wrong, but we believe it is up to us to fix it. If anything that I said just there resonates with you, can we just press pause for a moment, take a breath, and consider something, discover something about God?
Here's what I want you to see. One of the very first things we ever learn about God in his Bible, if we're reading through left to right, one of the very first things we ever discover about God is that he rests. God rests. And, and that, those two words, God rests, that is, that is a Mount Everest of thought. Reading again those three simple verses. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. I, I want us to feel the inescapable reality that God, who is infinite in power and eternal in nature forever, outside of time, that God rests. Consider the contrast there. God is infinite in power. He is all-powerful, and he rests. God is outside of time, and yet he still takes time to rest. For all of the things that God is capable of, let it not be lost on us that God rests. And he's not panting. He's not in need of a nap. He's standing back at his completed work, at his finished work, which he has declared to be good and good and very good and in immense satisfaction and joy, he rests from his work. And that there is critical to understanding the rest that you and I are invited into. You see, we need far more than a holiday. We need far more than long service leave. We need far more than just a circumstance transplant. We need something far more important, something far deeper and far more life-giving. We need the rest that can only be found in the infinitely powerful and eternally existing God who rests. And the really good news for us is not just that God rests, but he actually invites us to join him in his rest. Imagine some important figure going on a lavish holiday, an expensive, incredible holiday, and inviting you along to join them. Now, I could point to the fact that in Genesis 1, God creates us in his image, and then not too long after that, we, we discover that God rests. And I think that would be reason enough for us to say, hey, there's something about that that we also need to rest, we need to stop, we need to pause but there's an even more explicit invitation than that in God's word to join him in his rest. And that comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. And in Hebrews 4.11 is going to be one of those verses that we're going to talk about pretty much on a weekly basis. It's going to come up again and again. So after referencing Genesis 2, 1 to 3, our passage for this morning, the author of Hebrews says, Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, God's rest. Now, he's actually speaking there to a group of Christians who were, like us, restless. They believed the truths about Christianity, but they were not experiencing that rest from God. They were yet to really trust in God for those truths. We might say that they, they had the belief of God, the trust of God in their minds, but not their hearts. Or that they had taken hold of, of trust in God, but they hadn't really taken hold of them and begun changing them. And the author invites his readers to enter into 
God's rest. And it's really important that we recognize that we are invited not just to rest in general, but actually invited into God's rest. He's not just saying, hey, it's a good idea for you to rest. He's saying, no, come and join me on that rest, in my rest. We need far more than a holiday, far more than a decent night's sleep, as lovely as those things are. We need the deep, joyous, satisfying, life-giving, soul-enriching, delightful rest of God, which transcends all circumstances. And so the message is not, rest is a really good idea, so you should consider, it, consider taking some downtime. The message is, God is enjoying his rest, and he's inviting us to come and join him. And Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3, turns the volume right up on that invitation. This passage is deep, it is rich, it is multi-layered. There is no way that we're going to be able to cover everything that is said in these three verses this morning. There are, however, just at least three things that I want us to pay attention to that, that help us understand the rest that we are invited into. So first of all, we learn that God was resting from the completion of, of his work. And that's really heavily emphasized in those first two verses. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. They were done. On the seventh day, God had completed his work, it says again, that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. There's nothing quite like finishing a job well and getting the job to the end, to its end point and actually finishing it. My wife, Kirsty, she is a master of actually finishing off jobs. Uh, she, she, she loves the, the, how, how just to get to a job, get to the end of a job and actually finish it off well. She's the master of finishing well. Uh, in contrast, I'm the master of starting many things and never finishing any of them. And that became really clear when we first got married because she would start something and, and do it and finish it off. And meanwhile, the garage was filled with a bunch of really stupid harebrained ideas that I thought were going to make us a whole lot of money. Like making skateboards. Remember that stupid idea that she was so patient with me in that. And I thought I was, I thought I was doing the greatest world. I thought I was doing God's work and making these incredible skateboards. They weren't incredible. They were terrible. Couldn't even hold my weight up. Um, and slowly over time, she taught me the importance of actually finishing a job well, like getting to the end of it and actually getting it done. Uh, a few years ago, we, we embarked on uh, probably the biggest project, we've, like building project we, we've ever done, which is building our deck. And I, I spent every afternoon and every weekend and every day for a month building this, building this deck. And sure enough, I got to like very close to the end point, and there was, I don't know, maybe 50 or, more so, 50 or so like uh, decking boards had to be put down. And I started to get that kind of, I'm almost at the end, fatigue, started to get bored, my eyes started to drift, I started to kind of like, I'd do one board and then just kind of stare at the sky and start dreaming of other projects that I could begin. And Kirsty, in her wisdom, she saw what was going on, she came out straight away and she was like, come on, we're going to get this done, we're going to finish this off. And, and she, we, we, she started handing me boards, we started nailing, I screwed them in and get it all done. And by the end of that day, we actually finished the job. And, and I actually got to the point about halfway through that thinking, oh, we can just finish it tomorrow. And she was like, no, we're not finishing this tomorrow. This deck is going to be done tonight. 
there's nothing quite like finishing a job well. And the emphasis in these two verses is that God's work was finished. It was completed. And I think there's something there for us to understand. He was resting from his work, which had been completed. And he was resting from that. It was finished. And that tells us something about our state. Being made in God's image, we too need the work to be completed. But the work that I'm talking about there, the work that I think this is talking about here, is far more than a deck. It's far more than a list of tasks to get done each day or each week. The work that we're talking about there uh, is, the, is a much deeper work that comes out in all of our toil. It goes deeper than our toil. So often the reason that we are overworked is because we're trying to prove something. You see, the beginning point for us being able to rest in God's rest, to enter God's rest, is the fact that he has actually finished that work for us. Jesus has actually finished that work for us. You see, there's another time that God actually finished another work, and that is on the cross, where Jesus cried out to tell us, die, it is finished. And that there is the beginning point for us to be able to enter God's rest because it is God's grace that to complete that work of justification of sinners by no merit of their own. So often the reason we, that we are overworked is because we're trying to prove something. We're trying to prove something to, to someone or to ourselves. Maybe somebody said that to, you, to us at one stage that you can't do this or they, they didn't think we could and we had to prove to somebody I can actually do this. But then we come across the, the cross of Jesus Christ, and he says, it is finished. We have nothing left to prove. God has approved us. God, the high and mighty judge of the universe, looks at us, with, and without crossing his arms, he doesn't look at us going, oh, come on, prove yourself to me. He has, by his grace, proved us. Approved of us. He has justified us. So often the reason we are overwhelmed is because we're trying to meet someone's expectations. Maybe we've got someone from our childhood in our past saying something like, oh, you'll never actually reach that. Or we're trying to, we're trying to uh, man- meet some, some goal that somebody else set for us. But God's grace isn't for people who have met expectations. God's grace is for failures. God's grace is for people who have not met expectations, who have fallen far short of of God's highest standard. So much of our toil, so much of our striving, so much of the stress that that we go through comes from the fact that we think that we've got to earn something. We've got to earn our, our way in this world. We've got to prove our existence, make our life count for something. But God's grace for us is a free gift. You see, it's sin that makes us restless. And the only way that we can enter God's rest is by looking at Jesus' declaration that his work is actually finished and saying, yes, that is finished now for me too. He finished that work on my behalf. 
Yes, it is finished for me too. My sin no longer counts against me. I have been declared righteous by God because of my faith in Jesus. God literally looks at me and he says, righteous. That man, that woman, he is righteous. She is righteous because they are in Jesus Christ and he is righteous. To believe that is to be true, that to be true is to agree with God that we are righteous because he says so, because of what he did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross for us. To believe that is to let that truth ring louder for us than absolutely anything else. You see, our sin that separates us eternally from God, that is the biggest problem that we face in our lives. And I say that not to discredit the other problems that we're facing, the relational problems, the problems with family, the work problems, the financial problems, the, the unmet expectations that we have in this life. Those things are hard, but they, hold, they don't hold a candle to the sin that separates us from God, and that has been dealt with on the cross. Our sin is the chief and fundamental reason why we are so restless. No amount of holidays or long service leave or lazy mornings or days off will ever leave a mark on our sin. We need Jesus to finish that work for us. To enter God's rest is to stop trying to prove ourselves to God. To enter God's rest is to accept his work as the finished work of Christ for us. The idea here is that God has saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He has made us righteous. And the degree to which we are able to comprehend that and understand that and receive that and believe that and agree with that is the degree to which we'll be able to actually find rest regardless of the circumstances around us. It's the degree we'll be able to find rest in God. The second implication comes from verse 3, where it says that God blessed the seventh day. Now, that word blessed is really, really important because that's the third time that word blessed has been used in the Bible so far. And that's significant. We're only like a page of our way into the Bible, and this is the third time that the word blessed has been used. The first two times come from Genesis 1, and both come from the idea or they have to do with the abundant increase of life. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 22, uh, God created the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and then blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then in Genesis 1, 28, God created mankind again and he blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So when God blesses the seventh day, he's not just saying, that was nice, that's as good, he's saying, he's actually, he's imbuing this day with life. This seventh day of creation, this seventh day of rest is pregnant with life. This day of rest was about celebrating the life and enjoying the work that he had done with the purpose of renewal, of bringing life back, of bringing life up. In fact, later on in the Bible, where in, in Exodus 31, where uh, Moses reiterates the command to observe the Sabbath, he says, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. 
Now that word uh, refresh there is actually this Hebrew word nefesh, which is really similar to the, word nef- the Hebrew word nefesh, which means soul and life. The idea of the seventh day, the idea of this rest was that God was bringing life. God was bringing life. You see, this rest, it's more than just stopping. The rest of God is more than just stopping. It's about the joy-filled renewal of life. When we consider what kind of rest that we're invited into, it's not just about stopping and vegging out and doing nothing, as tempting as that might sound. It's, it's thinking and dwelling upon the life-giving God of the universe, that he is the one who gives us life. He is the source of our life. And when God sent his son Jesus to earth, we've got to consider how much Jesus associated himself with giving life. John 1.14 says, In Jesus was life. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they, have, that they may have life and have it in abundance. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And those are just just three of the 32 times that Jesus claims to be the source of life from John's gospel alone. Jesus is the source of life. And when we're invited to enter into God's rest, which he has blessed, he is inviting us into life to receive life, to be refreshed by his life, to be renewed in our lives by God. So how do we get that life? By believing in Jesus. And that might seem like a bit of a simple cop-out answer, but it's not. That is massive. Right towards the end of John's gospel, he puts pen to paper about the reason why he wrote his gospel. He's written about this whole thing, and he gets towards the end, and he sits down and he writes, actually, this is the reason why I wrote this. He says, it's so that you, you and I, the reader, you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The reason why John wrote John was so that you and I would read it and believe in Jesus, and by believing in Jesus would receive the life of Jesus, would be imbued, we would be filled with life from Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to say that everything that is said about him in my Bible is absolutely true and absolutely changes everything for my life. It means that he is now the one in charge. He has full, Jesus has full permission to, to say and to change and to alter and to mold and to shift and to move and to send me wherever he delights. He is my king. He has full permission to do whatever he wants with my life. That's what it means to believe in Jesus, to believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, to say he's the one in charge, and whatever he says goes. And friends, when we do that, we'll discover the explosion of life that is found in Jesus Christ alone. The third and final implication from our passage from this 
is from the next part of Genesis 2, 3, where it says that God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. To declare something holy is to consecrate it or set it apart. And quite simply, that means that this day of rest is not like the other six days of creation. Very, very different from them. It means that this day of rest is important, it's holy, it's set apart, it's consecrated. This means that the rest that we are invited into is not something that we can shrug at or balk at. We can't just go, oh, whatever, that's nothing. Let's be straight. If God called his rest holy, consecrated, set apart, and he then invites us into his rest, we are fools if we disregard it, and we are sinning if we think that we are above it. Entering God's rest is not just resting from the work, but resting in God, trusting in God, going to God for our life, to be the source of our life and our vitality. And if we go elsewhere for that, that is a violation of God's law, and we need to repent. Some of us here today need to repent of the martyr attitude that says, even if everybody else stops, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep pushing through. Are you aware that if that's you, you might be dismissing the finished work of Christ? Or you might have the attitude that says, if I stop, it's all going to fall in a heap. The world will stop spinning if I don't keep working. Friends, what is that if it's not a claim to be God? Resting in the finished work of Jesus is actually not easy. It's very often much more than just a flick of the switch. It's not something you can just go, okay, fine, that's sweet, I'll just do that. At the beginning of this year, when I took that two weeks break, um, I called Rachel to let her know that I was going to be doing that. Um, and just so we could start planning things out for the next couple of weeks, and I also called a bunch of the people in our core team as well. And I'm so grateful to Rachel, so grateful to the core team uh, for how they responded to that, because without realizing it, they helped me understand this. See, when I spoke to Rachel and I said, hey, I'm having this time off, I, would, I said to her, hey, so we need to organize a bunch of stuff. We need to get this done and this done and that done. And we need to get a few things happening. And she would just say, yep, yep, no worries. We've got it. I've got it. It's all sweet. We'll, we'll get this sorted. And then I called back five, ten minutes later. Hey, Rachel, I just remember this other thing. We've got to do this and we've got to do that. And we've got to organize this person to do this. She's like, yep, I've, we've got it, Jimmy. It's fine. Just go. Just go. Take the rest. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, Rachel. And then I call her again, and then I, hey, just, you know, one more thing, sorry, I just think this came to mind, and we've got to sort this out, and, and, and eventually she said, uh, and I, I'm not quoting her verbatim, but she eventually said, Jimmy, you're not that important. You, you, this actually, this isn't about you, we've got this. And she helped me understand, hey, this, the world doesn't stop spinning if I take a holiday. This church is actually about Jesus. He's got this. This is why the invitation is not just to enter God's rest, but Hebrews says, strive to do so. It actually says, make every effort to enter that rest. It sounds ironic, but actually, it's not ironic, it's realistic. We've got to work hard to enter God's rest because we've got to turn away from the things that have given us rest in the past. 
There is such a temptation to think that we are in the place of God and that the world sits on our shoulders and everything will fall apart if we don't put in the effort and get the results. But to resist that temptation is to agree with Jesus when he says, it is finished. To strive to enter that rest means to make every effort to apply the gospel to your life and believe the gospel more than you believe anything. This is an every moment of every day kind of activity. Think about it. Put it in your mind. Write it out. Journal it. Talk to somebody about it. Tell someone, I'm resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because he has solved my greatest need, I can now rest. How does God's rest bring an end to our restlessness? by knowing that the penalty for our sin has been eliminated and our greatest problem has been solved and we can now stop and rest in the finished work of Jesus. And friends, that rest is available to us today. Why? Because when you look at the story of creation, each day ends with a refrain And there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day. And the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day and the sixth day, but not the seventh. That's not how the seventh day ends. It's as if that day hasn't ended, that God is still at that place of rest. And that means that we can experience a rest and a respite that transcends our circumstances and our experiences and we can enter God's rest now. Let me end with David's words in Psalm 62. He says, just from verse 1, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.